Detroit-born violinist Regina Carter is not a player easy to pigeonhole. A teacher and performer, composer and arranger, her music is based in multiple traditions. We talked on the phone during her spring 2014 tour. Very good afternoon. It's such a pleasure to talk with you. You as well. Thank you. Yeah, it turns out that we are both from the Detroit area. I'm more of a suburban girl, but, you know, I was just so thrilled to recognize a great musician, a great female musician coming from the Detroit area and um, was interested in how that affected you. I have to admit, I'm a little more familiar with some of your more recent work, so I haven't had the opportunity yet to hear the Motor City moments, but it's just fascinating to me that you've got that in your roots, your soul, and yet you've come somewhere totally different on your newest album. Well, you know, I think all of it is really related when you think about it. Southern Comfort is is tracing my family roots, and it's part of a trilogy. Uh, It started with I'll Be Seeing You, A Sentimental Journey, which was, was comprised of music my mother grew up listening to in the 1920s and 30s in Detroit. And then after joining Ancestry.com and doing my DNA genealogy and tracing some of my family, that reverse thread was born out of that. And then Southern Comfort came uh, as a result of tracing my father's side of the family. But growing up in Detroit, I started the first record I did on Atlantic was heavily influenced by my hearing Motown growing up um, as well as it's the jazz I was influenced by and, and every other kind of music that I was influenced by, you know, because as you know, growing up in Detroit, at least when I was there in the 60s, 70s, 80s, the radio stations were amazing. You just heard all sorts of music. The music wasn't put into boxes like it is these days. Exactly. So, you know, so I think I, was, I came up in a really fortunate time, so yeah. I think a lot of my records kind of reflect that. So Motor City Moments was kind of my nod or my thank you to the city for all that it offered to me. And most of the records, they've all been themed records. Mm-hmm. But once I left the label and um, I received the MacArthur uh, Award, then it gave me room to really just step back for a minute and think, okay, what is it that I really want to do myself and not, not worry so much about the business side of it, but more the artistic side of it, and knowing that, okay, some of these records might not sell, you know, a lot of records, but artistically, they, they're they saying something about where where I am in my life at that point. Certainly. That brings up a great thing I wanted to ask you about was, what's that like to be rewarded with the MacArthur Genius Grant? It just must be really liberating and exciting and and open you up to so many opportunities. Yeah, it was pretty (laughs) mind-blowing, you know, and it's unexpected. So I was going to say it came at the perfect time, but I think it's the perfect time no matter when it comes. Sure, yeah. I had just lost my mother probably a year before that and went through an ugly lawsuit for canceling work when she passed away. Uh, in another country. So it was a pretty brutal year for me uh, on a lot of levels. So when that came, it was pretty amazing. I felt like it was a sign from her and from the universe saying, okay, you can move ahead now. And and it just, it, it let me just, I pretty much took a year and didn't worry about having to work or having to put out something that I thought was going to sell. It just gave me a year to breathe mm-hmm. and to, to, to mourn and say, okay, how do I want to use my music now? What do I want to do? 
and after you go through such a life change like that, you start to, at least for me, I started to question myself and know, okay, what what am I, what is it that I'm doing while I'm here? What do I want to say? What kind of mark do I want to leave? What what do I want to leave? What kind of legacy? And so that's where that really came into play. And so I think my music now is really coming from that place. I noticed, too, that you've spent some of your career teaching. Do you get a lot of opportunity to do that? And what do you think is an important message for young musicians coming up? Well, if a school, wherever I'm doing a gig, some clubs have relationships with schools or they'll bring kids in on a Saturday or Sunday and I do an afternoon workshop. So I get a fair amount, you know, I'd say, to do workshops. And I enjoy doing that. I also sometimes, with certain clubs, like with St. Louis Jazz at the Bistro, they have an affiliation with the Children's Hospital, and I've done some hospice work and some work at uh, Western University in Kalamazoo, Michigan, with their their music therapy program. So I go to hospitals sometimes and play for patients and just try and bring some some happiness in, in, into their world for for a few minutes. And you know, music is it is being researched now. Uh, and showing that although we've known this for, forever, at least other cultures have, that music is really powerful and can be a healer. And so I enjoy also going into hospitals or nursing homes. So for young people that are that are coming up and playing, um, I think it's important, first of all, they have to love doing this because don't do it if you don't love it. <laughs> you know, it's just, it looks glamorous when you're on stage, but you only spend about 45 minutes, 45 to 90 minutes on stage, and the rest of it is, you know, behind the scenes. And it's like with any job you have, you're going to have your your cross to bear. But with this one, you really have to just love this, I would say. So that's the first thing, have the passion for it. And if you have the passion, follow that and listen to your gut. Learn to really listen to your gut. And, you know, try and figure out what it is you want to say. Figure out your own voice. Don't try and be someone else or sound like someone else. And to know that we're all examples. We're we're all role models to someone else. And that's not something that we can choose to be or not to be. We just are because someone's always watching us. So keep that in mind and decide how you want to influence someone else. I like that. I also like a comment that you kind of start with the description of the new album, Southern Comfort, making the past personal. Was that a thought that came to you early in the process or as you reviewed what you'd put together for the album? Did you realize that that's kind of where it was all coming together? I think while I was in the midst of it, I realized, you know, because at first I was just, researching my family and I didn't plan on making making a record about it but for me in order to retain information if I have something to make a connection with it like music then it's the information stays with me and once I started hearing some of these field recordings which are so incredible I I wanted to share them so that's where the idea of the record came about and the past is not something that's separate from me you know I have a lot of memories and it's a part of who I am and we all have our past that our ancestors and and their their trials and tribulations and and that helps to make us who we are and I think in in really looking at that it gave me a lot more um, 
push made me proud, and it helped me to realize that as they, too, had to go through so much so that I could have what I have today, it's my responsibility to keep carrying that, even though some of, some of them I've never met and won't meet because they've been gone, but they're still a part of me. They're still a part of what makes me me. So I'm just trying to keep that relevant, if you will. I love that sentiment because I, I was just looking at something with, I don't know, there's a thread going on on Facebook, I guess, about some young man who's, my ancestors worked and they paid, so it's okay for me to have all these privileges. And anything that I think helps ground us and remember we still have to do more for others just right. is more heartening. Yeah, and the thing is is that everything that our ancestors fought for for us, we can't take them for granted because some of those are being some of those rights are being taken away from us because we're not paying attention. And Amen. So if we don't wake up and and hold ourselves accountable, then we'll be in a minute, you know, complaining about someone took something from us and, you know, it's like we have to pay attention. And the buck does not stop with us. <laughs> you know, we have to further. There's so much more that needs to be done, that there's so much more work that has to be done. And it's now it's our turn. And for anyone to think that, you know, they can just sit back and not do anything, I'm afraid for them because they're going to be the ones that, that are in the end going to be hurt by that. I wanted to ask you about a couple songs in particular. Since I never did get to chat with you when Reverse Thread came out, and um, one of my real strong interests has been in music from Africa, and I've had the opportunity before to meet Ayubogata. You just do this beautiful arrangement of his Kothbiro. What drove you to that piece? That piece, as you know, his piece is so incredibly amazing, and when I heard it, it just it struck something deep within me, and I would just have to listen to it over and over and over. And it just, it's one of those things where I feel like it, it affected every molecule <laughs> in my body, and I had to do it. So it just, you know, I, a lot of times with these projects, I'll listen to a lot of different music and read about the history, and in the end, I might have way more music than I can possibly record. And so some of them I just know immediately the music will tell me you have to do this. And so those go on the list. And the rest of them will play through arrangements and try rearranging them and playing. And if it doesn't feel natural, if something doesn't happen organically, then I leave it alone because I feel like it's not supposed to be. And I feel like whatever I end up with, there's a connection there. All of them, all of the pieces together make a story.
And then on that album, you also wrote a piece, Daydreaming on the Niger. You know, I found you're more into listening and collecting and doing other pieces than writing. How did it feel to sit down and compose something with that theme? Well, it's interesting. I used to write a lot more. On my first couple of projects for Atlantic, I, I did most of the writing. And then when I signed with Verve, my A&R guy told me he didn't like any of my writing because he said it sounds like the stuff you did on Atlantic, which they categorized my music on Atlantic as smooth jazz, and that's not what they wanted. So unfortunately, I kind of let someone else, well, I mean, it's okay. It was it was where I was in my career and in my life, so I didn't write as much, and there's some amazing music out here that I could cover. During that time, though, I got a couple of grants, and then I was commissioned by Lincoln Center and some other commissions to write pieces, and so then I could really sit down and just say, who am I, what's my voice today, what experiences are going to come through the music and to write, so... You know, at some point, I guess I'll get to a point where I get back to writing and do a whole record of my compositions, but it's not something that I feel like I necessarily have to do right now. Just because of where I am, the music that I'm finding, the journey that I'm on or the road that I'm on, I'm finding so much incredible music, field recordings, that people may not have heard. There's an abundance of music from all over the planet that people haven't heard, so I find that Right now, it's just beautiful that I can even present these to listeners and have a chance to not only play the original field recordings for the audience, but then to play our take, our arrangements on these pieces. What a fun way to present that. I mean, people tend to really love it because they're turned on to something they hadn't heard before. Or for some people, maybe they've had similar experiences no matter where they've come from. And to hear those uh, field recordings is pretty awesome. Interesting, too, because there's a, a couple other musicians I know, particularly Jamie Stone and Mara Smiley, who have also been delving through the Lomax archive and finding some of the music that isn't as well known and hoping to bring more light to some of the old traditional music. Right, yeah. When I was growing up and hearing some of my family that would come up from the South and some of them had to take courses language courses so that when they spoke English they would lose the southern accent which now when I think about that it's pretty rude <laughs> you know it's just yeah fit in with the northerners so now we're at a place where I feel like we can uh, or I can celebrate the south my grandparents and everything that makes the south the south and there's a lot of beauty. And, you know, the thing is, with any music, with any culture, some of the music comes out of some really ugly experiences or from very ugly people. But the music is, is pretty amazing. And sometimes we don't want to celebrate that or we want to keep that pushed down and ignore it. And the thing is, it's like, that's amazing music. No matter where it came from, it's still amazing music. So let's, let's deal with it. If we have a few more minutes, I'd love to ask you about a couple of the songs on the new album, Southern Comfort. One of the more familiar ones to a lot of people might be C.C. Ryder, which always was kind of near and dear to me, and yet your rendition is just radically different than what I got familiar with. 
Yeah, this this is way before that one. This okay. is the Riders from an all-girls school in Alabama. And it's a game, actually. Sort of like when you hear little girls playing patty cake or double dutch, how they have these rhythmic sayings that go along, like Miss Mary Mac or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so it's a game. And that's where it comes from. But our arrangement is still, you'd recognize it if you heard the field recording, but it's still pretty different. It's it's a fun arrangement. And then for whatever reason, when I'm on the air, the the one I keep playing is cornbread crumbled in gravy. It's just got such a nice liveliness to it. I, I love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, people can't get that. It's one of those tunes, like once you hear the melody, you can't get it out of your head. And even sometimes at home, I'll just be humming, and I'm like, what am I humming? It's like, oh, it's that cornbread crumbled in gravy. It's just, there's something about that. And I think... For so many people, either they know that song, they've heard it when they were kids, or something very similar to it. And we can all relate. You know, I just remember being on my mother's lap and her rocking me and humming something. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it just strikes a memory for a lot of people. Wonderful. Been a pleasure chatting with you. Look forward to hearing what else you've got up your sleeve and as we go. Great. Well, thank you so much and enjoy your day. For KGNU, this is E.C. Herb. Thank you.